0: how's it going everybody welcome to CR geek out i'm your host robin and with me my ever faithful co-host carl carl how are you today i'm doing
1: good i am so done with this work week and i'm so glad that we're going to be talking about the topic we're going to pick today
0: yeah I'm, I'm excited too this will be really interesting uh this week we're talking about music uh just kind of in general and uh so I'm going to let Carl get started, like I usually do, and uh, tell us, uh, what what are you listening to, Carl? So I've been diving
1: very deep for about a year now into the world of K-pop and the Korean music industry, and I have to thank a couple of groups. So first, Sai for helping further put K-pop music into the, onto the map. Uh, one of the first K-pop groups that I ever listened to, Girls' Generation, which helped piqued my interest early on. And then I have to thank this group that I'm currently following, it's one of my favorite girl groups in Korea, is G-Friend. And I am absolutely in love with this group because the moment I first heard their song, uh, which was called Magustas 2. And for those who don't know, that's a Spanish phrase, that means I like you. (laughs) My first curiosity was, do they say much Spanish in this song? And also, how many Korean songs actually have Spanish titles? Turns out, a lot. So I was like, okay, never mind. This is a normal thing. And I listened to the song and i was just like, the first words that came out of, that came to mind was this was refreshing. I don't know why, but for some reason I needed to hear that song. And I just like, it's like I fell in love with listening to music again for me.
0: Wow. That's, that's great. I've, uh, I've not been, uh, overexposed to K-pop, um, I will put it on at the gym, just a, a playlist. So I don't, I, I don't really have songs that I'm like, oh yeah, like that's a banger, or bands that I that I follow. But uh, the the energy in that music uh, is is great for working out, and I like that I don't understand Korean <laughs> because I can just work out without listening, and I don't get distracted by the lyrics.
1: Yeah, and I think something that I think uh, Korean groups uh, are good at is even. Even though I don't understand Korean at all, I can feel the type of emotion they're trying to convey in the song, pretty easily. And then when like sometimes they'll have a music video and you can see English subtitles, either someone subbed it or the company that they are with subbed it, uh, sub the music video. It's like, huh, that's a that's basically the vibe i was kind of getting from this music video is like oh this is very warming or you hear a song it's like oh this is a very sad song it's like they are very good at conveying emotion both vocally and instrumentally it's one of my favorite things about the k-pop industry right now
0: um do you uh you know i i know that the the industry itself gets often gets uh criticized for an overabundance of production and that in, in at least several of the band's uh, cases, they're they're usually referred to as groups rather than bands, yeah. because you don't have a guitar player, a bass player, a drum drummer, a singer. Yeah. That it's it's a an organization that is assembling talent, and then you have professional musicians, music theorists, etc., composing the music. Yeah. And in addition to that, there's there's always the, I guess, stigma against the idol lifestyle that is uh very prevalent in korea south korea and uh, japan as well um have you thought much about that uh i don't know much about it other than what i've heard because again it's not something i've researched
1: yeah so there's also kind of been like in recent history so like literally this year and last year there's been like a huge shift in that industry as well as like the government itself is trying to make sure that they have good regulations so that the companies there's been these stigmas where like the companies will get these you know artists these idols um in contracts that are very that are not very good for them in the long run like it could be very detrimental to their health because they have to meet all these expectations um so there has been some government uh, intervention to help improve that experience and that lifestyle for the for the korean uh, k-pop idols Uh, i will say one of the things i do love about their production is yes they spend a lot on us but because the talent they're building up is not they're building up their vocal talent and then they're also building up their stage presence talent so they're dancing their uh, expressions so they're focused on the overall performance not necessarily being the musicians and instruments for themselves granted vocally they're fantastic they usually train them very well to have a good range and to be able to work as a unit together it's very impressive on how they can get all these members especially for some of the larger groups where there's some groups there's like 12 members and they still manage to pace the music and organize the music structure to where everyone gets a chance to shine whether they're whether it's for vocals or for um, presenting their dancing uh, capabilities
0: yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to imply that there's no talent there. Um, they obviously do pick very talented singers, very talented dancers, um, and and they do train them up. It's uh, a very very that, competitive.
1: Yeah, it's a very competitive uh, career in uh, Korea because they, you know, you can be a trainee for so long and you may never debut, or your you know, company will get, you know, form a group and prepare to try to debut this group but then it may never happen just because of how competitive and how Uh, it's 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 competitive but there's all it's it's also a a huge risk because when they promote these groups you know there's a lot of investments that they have to put into it they have to you know if they want the group to be successful they have to do promotions with these groups they have to do a lot of this on their own as a company and Sometimes, you know, it just doesn't work out. Some groups don't last very long. Some groups make it a few years, and some groups just don't even get a chance to debut.
0: Yeah, so that's that's good to hear that the there there has been progress in the industry. Um, I'm not opposed to uh, produced music like that. It I, I don't think that it removes anything from the music as long as you can jam to it and as long as the artists aren't being mistreated. Yeah. I'm I'm totally cool with that. Um, so, uh, could you could you give us some recommendations on on groups that you like songs? Yeah. So,
1: one of, so I mentioned earlier, one of my favorite groups that I'm following right now is G Friend. Um, their most recent release is an album called Song of the Sirens. The album itself is, um, am- absolutely amazing. It's been a huge transformation for them from the very beginning and. But the thing is, I actually, if I were to recommend an album from GFriend, I would actually recommend one of their Japanese albums, because they've also done some Japanese releases, and I believe the album's called Fallen Light. Um, Absolutely amazing album. It's probably my favorite album from theirs. So, GFriend is probably my favorite girl group. Another girl group I would recommend is Mamamoo. It's a four-member group, and they are just very classy ladies. They... They do, like, big band-style vocals, and they just have fun with it. Like, they just – they don't give a damn. And one of my favorite songs about, from them is called Hip. And it is literally a song about – I don't care what all my haters are going to say. You give me all the clicks, and you b- bring up my popularity, basically. So I'm like, nice. I can get behind this. It is a fantastic song. And it's also a really good song to you know work out to, actually. It's just
0: fun. Okay. Okay, um, that's that's good to know. Maybe yeah. maybe we maybe we should collaborate and put a Spotify playlist together with uh, I can whatever definitely... we whatever we recommend on this on this episode. Yeah, totally. Um, no, that's really cool. Um, yeah, I've uh, I've been a lot more into J rock uh, throughout yeah. my my life than I than I I've delved into to K pop, and part of that might be because of how much I like anime. Oh yeah. And I I discovered these bands because in in Japan if you're if you're not familiar uh for anime openings they get rock groups and pop groups to write the opening songs to to anime which is something very foreign in America where the opening songs are usually just something uh instrumental um something that kind of has a little catchiness to it but but usually you don't hear a lot of vocalizing usually it's not made by a band it's made in a studio just specifically for the show so there's not like a full version of the song yeah and and for for most anime you can find you know an album that has the song you like on it and it's a full version so instead of the one minute and 30 second opening you'll find a three or four minute version of this song that can be really awesome and uh you know some of my favorite bands from that are uh, the pillows who yes. did the the <laughs> soundtrack to flcl and all their music is just great they're an awesome j rock album there is a burnout syndrome that i discovered through watching Haikyuu, which is the mm-hmm. the anime volleyball. that's about volleyball and it literally translates to volleyball that's what Haikyuu means and uh, burnout syndrome's really good. They did, I think, a couple of the openings there. Um, Flow is, is yep. a, a, a good one. Uh, they did. They did a lot of anime openings back in the day. Uh, mm-hmm. Code Geass was where I discovered discovered them. Uh, my personal favorite, though, right now, is a a band called Unison Square Garden. Oh, and...
1: I haven't heard them in a while.
0: And they they put out uh I discovered them from their ending song that they did to a great anime called Blood Blockade Battlefront or Kekai Sensen, which okay. is the, the Japanese title. And so this this was made by Naito, who is known for uh Trigun was what, what he's yep. known for. And this is his next series he did, which is about these this basically our world and the multiverse collided in new york city and so new york city is a become becomes a hodgepodge of different architecture and aliens and demons and everything and new york city is surrounded in this mist and inside the mist everyone continues living their lives it's just now there's aliens and demons and monsters and gods and everything roaming around and the the ending song is so catchy it's what is it called uh Oh, now you don't. Uh, now you need to find it's, out. It, it's on my. It's on someone have a sugar song. Sugar song and bitter step is the the name of the song by Unison Square Garden, okay. that is just the catchiest dang J rock song. Uh, and then they 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 continued up. They did the opening to season two of the anime and uh there's a little watched anime because it was on amazon strike which was back when amazon had their own anime streaming service that yep. failed and now you can just watch all of it on amazon prime anyway uh an anime called welcome to the ballroom that is about competitive ballroom dancing oh yeah 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 and it's really good it's a really good anime and they did both openings to it which the my my one of my favorite songs across genres is a song called In, uh, Invisible Sensation that they wrote for it. And it is so emotional and the choreography that they set the animation to for the opening is just incredible. Mm-hmm. And the great thing is 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 for those unfamiliar, it's hard to find Japanese music on Spotify on on yep. any English distribution. Uh from from my from what I've learned, it has to do with Japanese licensing companies are just really hesitant to get in bed with English distributors. I don't, I don't know why, I don't know if they were burned in the past by, by licensing deals gone bad, but it, you know, for a long time, it was like you either paid an outrageous amount of money to buy a imported CD on eBay or you pirated it. And that was kind of your only options. But uh, here earlier this year, I think, um, unison square garden actually put just dumped all their music onto spotify but there's yeah. it's not divided into their albums it's just one just, mega album of all their music
1: <laughs> yeah there's another japanese uh it's more of their pop it's more from their pop side uh the boy group uh, arashi did the same oh thing. yeah uh, they 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 started setting up youtube they set up an instagram because that was another thing social media was not at this not quite a, an avenue that japan had been experimenting with previously to promote their artists and their works uh, and so they they also had a huge dump of their music onto you know into the internet onto youtube onto spotify so i think this uh unison square garden and arashi really are going to be big pillars and kind of starting that wave to maybe we start seeing some of these other groups that even i like i love flow i love uh one group called Ikimonogakari. Uh, they've done a lot of openings and endings for Naruto and Bleach. Uh, Overworld, <laughs> that is a <laughs> throwback for me for, from the Bleach days. What about Asian Kung Fu Generation?
0: Uh, of course. They are a classic.
1: And then I always never can actually say the name because it's, it's French. It's Soul. It, it means hmm. rainbow. <laughs> I'm okay. pretty sure it means rainbow. <laughs> but uh, they did like a bunch of the openings for the Fullmetal Alchemist. Um, okay, my, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and they did a couple openings for the Gundam series. They're just, there's so many good bands out there, man. There's just so there, many good there,
0: bands. There really are. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other specifically. Uh, oh, uh, the Radwimps. Radwimps, Rad, Wimps Rad Wimps, Are yep. super good. Um, I found them by watching the, the movie Your Name, which just mm-hmm. e- exploded. was like the biggest Japanese movie release ever, think. It was such a good movie, too. And it was a beautiful movie and but one of the stipulations the director had when when taking this project is that one band does all the music, all the, the composition, the orchestration, the music. And this. that was the the radwims. And he fought tooth and nail to keep it and thank God mm-hmm. he did. Yeah. Because the music in the movie is so keyed into the movie. It just it feels so natural to, the... to listen to it.
1: They did such a good job. Oh my gosh! I actually loved the idea that it was just one one group that was going to compose it all. Because my problem with having so many different groups being involved in a project like a movie is that you could get different tones for the same type of expression you're trying to look for. Because each group does a, the expression probably differently. But ra- because it's, it was just Radwimps, it was consistent. It you know. It didn't feel jarring when the music shifted. It's just, it was oh, it was such a good soundtrack, such a good soundtrack, such a good decision by that, um, by that team, to
0: yeah. And they they also did the music for the follow up movie, uh, Weathering with You. Weathering with You. Yep. Um, and their music's on Spotify also, and it's real good. And uh, just everyone should check it out. Um, something that uh I noticed when I first started listening to J Rock is how different the guitar sounds in yep. most J-rock to American rock and American pop. And I learned that the, this uh, from a, a friend of mine who's a musician, a local musician, and, and really into uh, just specifically the guitar. And And I was talking with him about that. And he said it's because that the, the subgenre math rock, which is known for being very technical and changing... Uh, time signatures frequently throughout a song and being being just a very kind of intensive guitar part uh, originated in Japan um, and he introduced me to a band called elephant Jim which is a a Japanese math rock band and it's so good and and so technical and that that bleeds into their j-rock as well it's not just it, it, it just doesn't sound like the same type of musical playing not that it's better or worse that's or anything it's just different mm-hmm. and and it's and it's much more driven from their culture and, and what was big there so you you just you hear these individual g- notes on the guitar a lot cleaner rather than blending into chords and uh using distortion and and you don't get a lot of that in J rock
1: yeah no i that's something i'm glad you pointed it out cuz that's something that you when you start listening like if you switch between a j-rock group and then honestly rock almost anywhere else uh, commonly you you notice that guitar difference and like i have a playlist as you know it's just a playlist i do listen to when i play video games on my pc it's a mixture of like korean music japanese japanese music that i can find um most of them being rock music and then uh i even have some like european rock and metal out there I've, there's a random mongolian metal song in the playlist which one of my co-workers introduced me to which i'm like this is something i did not know i needed in my life yeah but no it's great the guitar is like you're right it's Jap- the way japanese artists and especially their uh rock stars use the guitar they want you to hear every note and you yeah. you can it's so cool it's so uh, it's so satisfying it's so satisfying mm-hmm.
0: It really is. It's it's really cool, and uh, it's one of my favorite things. Um, so uh, now for something completely different, um, what I've been listening to a lot of for the past two or three years is a sh- is an indie subgenre called twee pop. And so twee pop is a very kind of soft, emotional type of music and i'm trying to think of a good way to describe it it's so there are bands uh uh, some common commonly referenced twee pop bands are bell and sebastian are probably the biggest and uh, they've had they've had music all throughout uh, pop culture uh, they were they're featured a couple songs in the movie Juno okay. um, they're they're a Scottish band they are they might be my favorite band in terms of bands that have really that really speak to me and it's led by uh, Stuart Murdoch and they they just have this very wistful realistic view of very emotional subjects. So rather than like pop music that might take love and, and kind of blow it up into this big thing of a big romantic gesture and, and the, the overwhelming feelings you get when you're in love, Twee will take it and, and look at it really emotionally and very realistically and, and try to isolate the human condition. I, I, I think that's how I would describe the writing for Twee lyrics is it's very real and very relatable to anyone who's been through any, whatever emotional feeling that that the musicians are trying to get across and, and the music does a good job of backing it up with this very soft emotional sound. And so like uh one of the one of the songs that I, I really like is called Piazza New York Catcher. And by Bell and Sebastian. It was on their fourth studio album. Uh but really their third album when when they're they're or no sorry they're really their fourth studio album but I, but i think technically their fifth because they did one album that was like for a movie but like it, the movie ended up not using their music or not uh, using very much of it yeah. and so it's all like instrumental music and people don't really count it in the in the canon of their 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 releases cool. so it's yeah. it's really their their fourth um off of the album dear catastrophe waitress and the song is about unrequited love where this guy is a is in love with his best friend and and that kind of that they've that she knows and they're they're but they're not in a relationship mm-hmm. and it kind of just describes their life and what they do and you know if you've been there you just you feel it and it's and it hits it's You know, and Piazza New York Catcher is a reference to uh, a a baseball player for who played who played for New York. Hmm. And uh, because that's, you know, that was just one of the things going on in the in the news cycle when this song was written. And it just kind of takes these little vignettes of life from from how this is feeling. And just just paints this beautiful, somber but not bad picture. You know, he's not depressed or anything. It's just kind of living with this feeling and how difficult that can be. And so so there's a lyric from it from this. Um, I love you. I have a drowning grip on your adoring face. I love you. My responsibility has found a place beside you. And strong warnings in the guise of gentle words come wave upon me from the family wider net net absurd you'll take care of her i know it you will do a better job maybe but not what she deserves and so you you get this conflict of you know this this woman's family even says you know you'd be you know a, a great you know partner for her yeah and the singer is saying but that's not what she deserves she doesn't want that and it's the the acceptance of it yeah um, another big, big band that's done really well, also out of Scotland, is uh, Camera Obscura, who is known for, uh, I think it's called Lloyd I Am Ready To Be Heartbroken. Mm-hmm. Lloyd I Am, yeah, Lloyd I Am Ready To Be Heartbroken. And it's, it's, again, it's about something very similar where, where a, you know, a, a woman is saying, Hey Lloyd, like I'm ready to be heartbroken. Like let's let's try this. Let's yeah. try this out. Um uh and the the chorus is Hey Lloyd, I'm ready to be heartbroken because I can't see farther than my own nose at this moment. Um and there's there's something about this music and it's not all about love. A lot of it's just about just ordinary interactions with people and um you know one one of them is about you know kind of it can be about ideals and and how you view them versus how you're living your life um and for me uh five years ago um, i was married and four years ago i got divorced and this music is what really helped me kind of reconcile my own feelings and and understand this deeper part of the human experience that i'm not alone and it's 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 part of it it's part of the journey to to go through these these feelings yeah. so um yeah that's that's twee um a very small genre um it it's origin was kind of almost a counterculture movement to punk music because okay. it in the same way that punk is very emotional and so is twee but it's kind of like punk for people who don't live a punk lifestyle. Like it's still, you're, you're expressing these very real emotions, but you don't have a Mohawk and ride a, a bike and have a leather jacket with clothes pins through it. Instead you wear a button down shirt and khakis. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so it was, it was very much a counterculture, not against punk, but just with punk. And, and I, I like to see them both as kind of the same energy going in different directions.
1: Interesting. Yeah, that, that that I actually have I, I may
0: have heard
1: of twee pop songs. I I just didn't even realize that's what that you know that genre was called. Yeah,
0: it's a it is a very niche genre. A lot. It just often gets lumped in with indie, and that's fine. It is okay. a very niche genre. Um, but over the la- sometime, I think in the last year, Spotify added a uh twee pop and indie twee pop, uh. uh the a sound of playlist yeah. uh, Okay, that's curated by Spotify. And uh, those are great, easy listening, um, great stuff. If you're studying or just reading a book or something, and you just want that kind of music on very yeah. atmospheric.
1: Interesting. I might try to check that out then. So I want uh, to kind of switch some gears. So this is not necessarily around, you know, uh, music industry that, uh, or commercial music industry, I guess, in a way, But soundtracks, so you know, music plays a role in for being the soundtrack to great movies that we've listened to. Lord of the Rings has a great soundtrack. Uh, You get. I want to
0: before we get angry emails from all eight (laughs) listeners. uh, You were there's a difference between a soundtrack and an orchestration. Yes, and so a soundtrack is going to be the songs that are played throughout the music, and the orchestration or the score is the the ambient music written for the movie. Yes. And so you're, are you are you're talking about the orchestration, the score. Or are yeah. you talking about Okay, I was I just wanted to, to I wasn't sure if you were talking about the use of songs in a movie or the score to a movie.
1: No, 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 the actual scores. Okay. And one of my, so one of my favorites um soundtracks. And here's the thing, it was for a video game and I always when I first heard the song, I was listening to them on YouTube. Cause I never played the game and I was like, oh, this is an interesting song. And I listened to it. And I was just like, this is a pretty good song. Okay. And I f- kept finding myself playing it on repeat for about a week. And then I was like, okay, this is part of a video game. Are there more? So- what other songs are in this video game? And I start. I found the whole soundtrack on YouTube and I listened to it. Still have never played the video game. And I'm like, all right, I'm convinced I need to get this game. If I don't even like the game, I'm going to love the soundtrack. Because it was so immersive and great. And it is the soundtrack to Nier. It is such a good soundtrack. And when they released Nier Automata in 2017, oh, I was so happy that it was the same composer, Keiichi Okabe. And that soundtrack is just my all-time favorite soundtrack to a video game
0: ever. I, I don't. Okay. Even,
1: I love the game, but even if that game didn't exist, I would love that soundtrack.
0: Okay. Well, I'm. I know they're they're doing they're rebuilding near they're remaking it, and I, I hope they keep the music. Cause I never played the original, and I, yeah, I'm it's... excited for this this remaster this remake.
1: Well, so the interesting thing about that remaster remake is when it first came to the U.S., t- uh, the original game near had two versions in Japan: near Gestalt and near Replicant. Uh, one version, uh, I can't remember which one was which uh, that came to the U.S., but the version that came to the U.S., you take the role of an of a father figure, and the other version, you take the role of a brother. Okay. And otherwise, it's the same storyline. It's just a different position in your family. You have a young, so there's a young girl. You're either, it's either your daughter or your sister, and she's sick, and you are trying to find a cure
0: for her. So, do you know if the remake that's coming out is going to be which it one? Is, it is for Replicant, which,
1: if I remember correctly, Replicant is the one where you play the brother.
0: Okay. Um, and the the score is the same. It's the for... Same score. Okay. Yep. I, I hope they keep that intact. I assume they will. Uh, yep. Okay. No, that's. I'm excited to hear that because I didn't I didn't know that about the game. Um, but yeah, video game music is, is incredible. Um, I I have in my car several of the CDs to various World of Warcraft expansions. Nice. Uh back when Russell Brower was the head composer at Blizzard, uh, that dude writes scores. Like they are they are really incredibly good. And it's I, I've I've played it for like my, my dad is a huge classical music nut. He he listens to it like every Friday he just like puts on his, his nice headphones and spends a couple hours listening to music and a lot of times he listens to classical. And I've played that music for him kind of blind, like I didn't didn't tell him what it was. And he <laughs> he loved it. You know, it's it's really quality stuff. Um on the on the subject of scores, um I wanted to I want to talk about my my favorite film score that I listen to all the time if I'm writing or or reading or something, and I want I want to listen to something that won't distract me, but will give me a, a nice ambiance is the Philip Glass score to the film The Illusionist, starring oh. Edward Norton. And this movie got did not get the attention it deserved because it came out at the same time as The Prestige. Yep. And I think it's a shame because I think it's a better film in about every way than The Prestige. And I love The Prestige. I don't hate The Prestige. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, for, for those who are unaware, The Illusionist is, is based on a short story called Eisenheim the Illusionist. And it's a period piece about uh, this boy who is in love with a woman of a much higher social status than him. And so, you know, she's going to be married off to this high nobleman. And, and he is, he ends up, he ends up making his living as an illusionist. And they reconnect later in life when she's engaged. And and he is the state, he's become very famous. You know, the, the nobility are going to his shows. They are having him as a private guest to do these illusions. Um, one of my dad's closest friends, uh, he passed away a year or so ago, and, um, was a magician his whole life. He was a professional magician, uh, you know, at some, some big venues and, you know, knew, knew, every, knew all the big names. Uh, he was never a big name himself. But uh, he walked in those circles and, mm-hmm. you know, he would talk about how, you know, going to like a, a gathering of magicians was just the, the greatest party ever because everyone's trying to one up each other because yeah. everyone knows the secrets. Everyone knows how, how you're doing these illusions. And so if you can get one that, that gets, gets the attention of everyone, that's really cool. And, you know, yeah. um, but when this movie came out, he told us to go see it because he said every illusion in this movie is real. They, now they they probably doctored it up for the for the camera because you're seeing it up close and from different angles mm-hmm. but that the illusions are real illusions every single one of them it, he knew how to do the whole movie he said I could do I could replicate every single one of these these are these are established real illusions so it added that that extra layer of of reality to this film which to me set it apart from the prestige which
1: yeah
0: uh, as every you know, everyone knows gets into some weird science, which is fine. That's what the movie was. But for me, something I like about magic movies, movies that are about, you know, magic is when it is real, when it's, it is mm. possible and you can, you see it and get away with it. And the the plot for the illusionist is in many ways, a mystery of how is this going to happen? How is, how is he getting away with this? Who is whom, and the score that Philip Glass wrote is so hauntingly beautiful, um, and Philip Glass himself is is just an incredible, incredible composer. Um, he's an older man, um, and he is how old is he? He is I'm looking it up. He is 83. Um, But he stays very fit. He, like, I think he swims every day. I I heard an interview with him because he said he has so much music that he has to put out. He has to get out of himself and give to the world before he dies. That he wants to keep himself in just peak shape and and peak health. Um, And he's he's known uh, for the, I don't know if genre is the right word, but uh, for minimalism as a style, which is... I've, I'm not a music theorist. I'm not a music analyst uh, at all. My, my loose understanding of minimalism is that it's trying to accomplish a goal with as little movement as possible yeah, in, in I music. Think that's a, I think that's a good
1: uh, – similarly, I'm not much a music theorist, but I believe that's probably the best way we would be able to ex- explain from, uh, from our point of view.
0: Uh, let's see what Wikipedia has to say. Minimal music, also called minimalism, is a form of art, music, or other compositional practice that employs limited or minimal music materials. Prominent you can't features... use the word
1: in the definition, Wiki. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Prominent features of minimalistic music include repetitive patterns or pulses, steady drones, constant harmony, and reiteration of musical phrases or smaller units. So, so yeah, just he he's trying he tries to accomplish a lot with a very little and i think you you know not that this score i would say is minimalistic but i think that his that being his discipline works really well with the theme of being a magician where yeah. you're trying to accomplish something bigger than what you're doing you're you're trying to to fool everyone watching When by by doing something that to them seems like, wow, this is this is this big idea and this is incredible. You just made an orange tree grow out of an empty pot, which is one of the illusions in the movie. And Philip Glass kind of having that background of trying to make the proverbial orange tree grow out of a pot with very little music. And the score for it is just just haunting and beautiful. And uh, I highly recommend anybody watch this film if if you haven't. Um, again, I I, I don't want to sound like I'm hating on the Prestige because it is great. I, I love yeah. Christopher Nolan, uh, and I, I I don't dislike it at all. I I just think the Illusionist hit me with its revelation and its its story and and knowing that it's real that that everything in it is grounded in a, a possible illusion.
1: Now I want to watch. Technically, I want to rewatch both those movies. I I I love magicians. Um, Just I guess a quick sidebar: I saw a live magic show one time in Florida. Uh, The magician's name was Kirby. It was really fun. It was exciting. And some of my favorite, like, you know, I think I mentioned this last week. Some of my favorite superheroes are magician-like characters. Actually, Uh, I mentioned Zatara and uh, Zatanna, who are a a father-daughter magician, but. They're actually spellcasters who have to say all their – to cast their spells, they pretty much just say a sentence backwards. And it's really trippy to hear when they introduce some of these characters into, like, animated shows. I'm like, oh, my God. I want to see a live-action version of these people speaking backwards because it just sounds so cool.
0: Yeah. Mr. Mixit Spitalik doesn't like it too much, though. Yeah, yeah. So Ends up banishing him to another realm. (laughs) DC and they're weird villains, man. Hey, that,
1: I think that's what DC's got over um, Marvel, is that they got quirky villains that I, I love. I, I, I love the heroes more than the villains in Marvel, but in DC, I tend to actually find I like some of the villains more than I like even some of the heroes. Yeah, you're
0: not wrong. Um, Marvel, all, all of their great villains, specifically in, in the cinematic universe, were kind of reimaginings of villains from DC, or from uh, from Marvel Comics, yeah um you know thanos was not nearly as interesting in the comics where he just wanted to impress death lady death so he wanted to kill a lot of people and it's like that's that's the a lame reason to commit genocide and then the movie version converts. also him. it
1: turns out that you know you got uh you got friend zone because she loves deadpool
0: yeah right exactly <laughs> um okay back back to music um yeah, but yeah, music, musical scores. Uh, you mentioned Lord of the Rings earlier, and that's that's got to be one of the best. The the depths that uh, Howard Shore went to creating a sound for this classic, timeless fantasy story, mm-hmm. you know, just shaped the world. Without that score, the the movies are so much diminished.
1: Yeah, that that score is as timeless as the story now.
0: Yeah, you know it's and and he was a relative unknown. I mean, it's not that he hadn't done anything, but you know the fact that he wrote a score for the this huge what ended up being a huge zeitgeist that was this good. You know, on the same level as I would challenge Star Wars. Even when when you're talking about iconic music, you know, mm-hmm. you hear the Shire and you're there. You are you are in the green hills of the Shire. You yeah. you hear. Uh, you know, the, the leitmotif for, for the Nazgul and you are terrified and you feel how small the hobbits felt facing down the, the ringwraiths on Weathertop. And, and, you know, uh, you know, I think I sounded really cool a minute ago saying leitmotif. Um, But, uh, but really that, uh, that's what really good composers do is, is they take these, these ideas and turn them into music And then, and that's what Star Wars did so well was you have this space opera and then you have this very classically composed, Mm -hmm. you know, orchestration, which at the time people were leaning into synthesizers and uh, other, other means of music. And so it, it seemed anachronistic at the time. I think I'm sure everyone said, are you sure, George, you want to use John Williams to do this, but it. Man, it works so well. And you hear the Imperial March now and you're just like you're there and you see the emperor and you see stormtroopers and Darth Vader. You hear the the Rebel Fanfare and you just you're just like let's fly an X-wing into the Death Star. It's great. You know,
1: what I like about the Star Wars soundtrack is like you like you said, you hear the Imperial March and you you imagine the empire so vividly. At the same time, I don't feel like I'm tied down to just being the sci-fi it's tied
0: to being a sci-fi empire like i could
1: easily see that in a fantasy or medieval oh yeah empire well
0: that's what like. star wars you know star wars blended sci-fi and fantasy so well you know it was a, yeah. it was a sci- very sci-fi setting with a very fantasy story it, the story itself is not really science fiction it's fantasy no. but its setting is very science fiction you're, you're in a galaxy far far away and there's spaceships <laughs> that travel faster than light and, yep all of this, you cool know. While, stuff. Let
1: us introduce you also to this world with a blaring opening. Bah! Oh man, like...
0: yeah, no kidding. And on those those <laughs> new speakers, and you know, it was. Oh my god! No, it that, was.
1: That definitely made me jump when I first heard. For me, I think the official officially the first uh, Star Wars movie I heard in theaters was Episode One, because the trilogy was before my time, <laughs> but i remember hearing those on those thx speakers oh my
0: god my chair shook yep i i remember that that was yeah that was at north rock 14
1: oh my god a
0: movie theater that is now an amc yes um but it no it was it was it was so cool uh star wars john williams is a a master of his craft yeah have you uh have you listened to much ennio morricone
1: hmm i don't think so
0: so ennio morricone i believe he passed away earlier this year yeah 6th of july 2020 he passed away and he's an italian composer who's known for doing the uh sergio leone spaghetti westerns
1: um
0: so uh he is he is a brilliant composer one of my favorites um it was something ridiculous he had never he had been nominated let's see how many times was he nominated for an oscar it he oh, he won his first oscar like 2 years ago for oh, for quentin tarantino's that the, the uh, what was it the the hateful eight he he scored oh, that oh shit yeah okay. so he scored that and finally won his academy award um let's see i'm going to google this how many times was ennio i mean more corny nominated
1: i I guess who's
0: who's got a beat is it leonardo dicaprio or this guy (laughs) so he has composed over 400 scores for cinema and television as well as 100 of his own classical works nice um let's see so from from his first score Uh, that he was nominated for was 79. He was nominated 79, 87, 88, 92, 2001. So he was nominated five times without ever winning. Then they gave him an honorary Academy Award because they were like, how have you not won an Academy Award? You are a a legendary composer. And and they gave him that in 2007. And then in 2016 uh he won the best original score for the Hateful Eight finally securing that legacy because he, he passed away 4 years later
1: yeah
0: and oh man uh you know it's it's crazy but you know he did the once upon a time in a west um the the good the bad and the ugly um a fistful of dollars for a few dollars more i feel like there's a
1: similar theme here for this uh... For sure. Like I can, I can already imagine hearing the sounds. Yeah. The yeah. He,
0: ha- he does. He has a very unique sound. You can always hear it. Um, there's a good playlist on Spotify of his music that I'll, I'll play when I'm, I'm just in that mood. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, but it sounds like Westerns to me. Like it's, it's, it's sound, it's the sound of Westerns. Uh, and it's, it's just it's just great. He's he's incredible and I I his score uh The Ecstasy of Gold is just beautiful. And I would totally play it for us if I, I thought we could get away with that, but I don't want to mess around <laughs> with copyrights, I don't really. I don't really know how this all works, but it, that you was You know, the best way to avoid legal issues is to just not deal with it at all <laughs> yeah right i mean we're not getting paid for this so who cares it's all on youtube anyway like whatever um but it's uh he, he it was part of his score for the good the bad and the ugly nice. and man is it is it beautiful oh man what other any other film scores that really stick out to you ah oh, man
1: i mean the superhero the marvel movies for sure you know they're pr- I think at this point, they can be pretty recognizable and and iconic in their own right. But, man, if it was like a score from a movie that just like really hits it home for me. You know, I don't think I can... For I, I guess for me, in the Harry Potter series, for sure. I think what they did with the music for Harry Potter... Both, just for the ambience music, music and the uh, soundtrack was, it, they really did make me feel like
0: I was living in a magical world. So
1: I think so. It, an interest,
0: a, an interesting thing interesting about part. about Harry Potter is that so it was John Williams originally did the first. Yeah. I think he did the first film, and then someone took over for him, and like they kind of half did it in the second film, and then the third film they got a whole new composer. And from that point on it was continually different composers as the movies went on, with only the main theme recurring from what John Williams had written through the entire series. And when I think about Harry Potter I found I'm hearing the Williams score from the first one more often than not. Yeah. And that when if you go back and rewatch the the later movies and and with while thinking about the music you'll see that you don't recognize most of it it's it's usually new and while i agree it's not bad ever it's it's a shame that they couldn't keep that uh, the musical ideas that williams established in the first movie and carried mm-hmm. them through because i agree that uh, especially the first movies light motifs he set up and the everything brought you into the magical world so well again john williams is a a master of this he is so talented so good and man yeah that the the just the classical harry potter theme that you know is so it fits so well
1: yeah like you said the early movies especially the very first movie that soundtrack just sucks you in you're like I'm in Harry Potter. When yeah. I first heard it, is like I wasn't watching Harry Potter. I was in it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So for me, I guess for sure, and I'll definitely have to uh, take a listen again, back to a little closely rewatching some of those movies because you're right. I think it's when you hear the non John William, you know, centerpiece. Basically, <laughs> it's not the same. No. Now, like, I need to justify it and verify it for myself now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I I do love it. I don't want it to sound like I I, I don't love the movies or, or the music, but the music is definitely very different than than you remember going into mm-hmm. the later movies and thinking about the music. Cause obviously the opening is always the same. It uses that same Harry Potter da, sound.
1: Da, 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 exactly. Da.
0: And oh, it's, uh, it, it brings you into it and then you get sucked into the movie aspect and the music is good and it f- fills its role, but because they lack the cohesion of movie to movie, it, it never hits the potential that something like Star Wars has where mm. they kept, you know, it was John Williams through and through. Yeah. Um, I'm sending you a video on Facebook right now. I think you will enjoy.
1: Oh.
0: Um, it's a music theorist guy I follow on YouTube who does uh, music theory videos specifically about movies and stuff. It's really cool. Nice. Um, Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's there's any other scores. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to Blade Runner's uh, Vangelis. Um, dude watched the movie with a keyboard in front of him, a, a keyboard and synthesizer, and played music as he watched it without without any score. And so you, you really get the sense that the music is living with the movie. It's really cool. And then I believe Hans Zimmer did the sequel, Blade Runner 2049, but he studied everything uh, Vangelis did. And, Hans and... Zimmer is a,
1: one of those composers who's kind of like in his own class. Yeah, he's, he's up there. S- yeah, so I mean, good.
0: gosh, the, the iconic scores he's done and the fact that he was able to really replicate this concept so well because I love the, the score to Blade Runner 2049 uh, and so much respect was paid so that it doesn't sound like a Hans Zimmer score. It sounds... It, you know, if, if I had watched the movie without knowing and you had said, well, who composed that? I said, oh, Van Vangelis, right? And he did the first one, and this sounded like the same guy.
1: Yep, I mean, Pirates of the Caribbean, as soon as you said Hans Zimmer, I'm like, he did a good job with some of the work he did on Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that stuff's yeah, great. I, I want to go on a fucking adventure now. <laughs> <Makes> <laughs> Let's it, go. It,
0: no, it does. It makes you want to go on a pirate adventure. It's it's awesome. Um. So transitioning back into um, you know, band, band style music. Um, I want to talk about a, a pet love of mine that is very controversial in Mm -hmm. that 80% of the people I meet hate it. Um, I unapologetically love ska music. (laughs) Okay. Um, and, and I blame the Tony Hawk one and two games for being such a majorly played thing in my childhood. I was listening to to Goldfinger and um, you know these these ska punk bands of the the '90s and you know eventually less than Jake and Real Big Fish uh, to more modern groups like the Interrupters um, the the classical ska bands like the Skatalites, Uh I just love them they're they're so awesome I love the upbeat just like not gonna keep me down sounds that ska has. Um, and, you know, there's something just so, so quintessentially 90s about that, that scene where everyone's riding yeah. a skateboard and, uh, you know, nobody had Facebook yet. Um, everyone was, you know, you, we
1: had instant messenger.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe <laughs> if you had, a, if you had access to a computer, um, you know, if you were outside, you didn't, there was no way um you know you you'd find out where the squad was hanging out by where all the bikes were piled up on in your neighborhood yeah and uh so ska always really takes me back to my childhood and uh you know it's known for having you know big horn sections and i've always loved loved that sound and
1: so i mean i i, I too am a fan of ska like that's good i, I, enjoy I didn't run this by you
0: I I, I I didn't run this by you before because i was afraid you might refuse to do the show well with me.
1: so I, I mean, I love music in general. Like, it's very hard for me to find a song, or find a band that's out there in the world that I can't find a song that I won't enjoy from that artist. Okay. It's very hard. Um, now, I am a little. Um, uh, what's that? Mumble rap or something? Sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, it's taken me a while to try to find something where I like it. I don't know. I, I don't think I can get into mumble rap, but. Like, I will listen to like I have a couple of real big fish songs on my um, album, and I probably could expand more on the ska scene. Like, I because I, it's more like I I find it, and it's like oh I just happen to like this, and I'll just put it in the playlist. Um, sure. So that's usually how my discovery goes with some of those music. Like I've I have like random like Norwegian metal rock band in my playlist yeah, because this is great. I still because I had a, I had an idea where it's like you know what. I keep hear I I know I've heard this song a bunch of times on the internet called the Yevon Polka. It's like um, some folk polka song from Europe. And it was like tied to a bunch of memes where someone's holding a leak stick and they're just waving it up and down. And, I, you know, I just got curious. And, you know what? I'm going to look up the Levin Polka metal and see if it exists because it's the internet and there's always something out there for what you're looking for. And it turned out I found it. <laughs> and... It was from a group called Korba I'm pretty sure I just butchered their name, but they have a. It's a. It's a rock band with an accordion player, which is already awesome. That is awesome, and they all. They also had songs like just straight up. It was just called vodka, tequila, whiskey. <laughs> it's like it was just straight up alcohol names. I was like, I can
0: get down with this. Yeah, that's that's great. I love that kind of stuff. I have a I have a playlist I made. I think eight years ago now on Spotify, maybe six years ago, that's just called Epic. And, uh, whenever I hear a song I like, I just add it to that playlist and it's like 23 hours long and just has music from the past six to eight years that I've just been like, Oh, I like this song. I'm gonna add this to this playlist. And so sometimes I'll just throw that playlist on shuffle and be like, Oh man. Yeah. I remember listening to, you know, hearing this song for the first time several years ago and,
1: I bet you have "Bye Bye Bye" by the Backstreet
0: Boys on there somewhere. I Actually, don't. I I, I haven't <laughs> revisited a lot of those older uh, studio bands grow- that I listened to growing up.
1: I mean, if you go back to any studio band, you go, you you look up "Together." <laughs> number two,
0: "Together." You know what is? And, you know what uh, it is on that though? What is? Uh, is it "Lucky Lucky" by Britney Spears?
1: okay that song
0: that song is holds up it's super good yes uh unapologetically that is a great song um and i i think musically it is just great and and emotional
1: yeah there as some of them i would probably be like this is like a guilty pleasure from my childhood Uh, you know there's we probably grew, and I grew up with two older sisters, so like I always heard all these different boy bands. Sure, <laughs> and eventually some of their songs stick with you for a while. Like, there's some songs from NSYNC. there's some songs from uh, Backstreet Boys, there's some songs from 98 Degrees. These are all boy groups <laughs> that you know what? It's like, oh, I can pick them out of thin air if it starts playing for sure.
0: Yeah, oh man. Well, it looks like we are about out of time. Yep, um. But, uh, I love this topic. This is—it's a fun like, topic. Me, it's
1: one of my favorite topics. It's
0: really fun, uh, and there's so much we didn't cover that I'm sure we can in, in a future episode. Oh, we can definitely come back to this. So, all right, guys, that's a show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, where we're at CR Geekout, and find us on Facebook as well. Questions, comments, and episode requests can be sent to CR Geekout at gmail.com. Uh, thanks for listening again, guys. Um, I'm Robin. I'm Carl. And have a wonderful evening. Have a good night. We are the geeks.